Hello, beautiful people. What a joy to uh, to see you all. I um, I've just been sitting here, um, partaking while you were worshiping, and just feeling. You know, when Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, "With God as my witness." which is quite an extreme way to start a phrase. To, to say, God is witnessing my speech. This is how true it is. This is how honest it is. This is how real it is. With God as my witness, how I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus, those I know, those I don't know, because Communion and spirit is not about a cognitive awareness of one another's lives. It's not a communion that's based on time spent together or, or memories that we have. Those things are beautiful and special, but that's not what oneness and spirit is formed around. You know, like I'm, I'm looking at Mark Mazengarb, um, who was playing guitar, and, and Mark and I went to school together. We were different years and I think in the last 20 years, we've literally had a two-minute conversation, um, according to my recollection. Um, humblest apologies, Mark, if I've got that really wrong. <laughs> but I'm looking at this guy who wasn't in my year at school. We didn't have too many crossover environments. We weren't particularly close as friends. And I'm looking at this guy that I just long for with all the affection of Christ Jesus, because together we are being built and fitted together as a dwelling of God in the spirit. And so I just want to say thank you for the, the privilege to be uh, with you. Um, in one sense, I wish I could be in the room to hug you all and to experience that. But in another sense, I know that it's not necessary because communion together is a spiritual reality first, a physical one second. And there's this reality that we've experienced in South Africa. You know, um, the Lord said to us 10 years ago, uh, move to South Africa and commit for three years. And he's, he's good like that. So 10 years ago, we moved here for three years. Uh, and yet we are more one with each one of you than when we were at the rock day in, day out, day in, day out, because this oneness is a work of the spirit. And he's been shaping us into it and shaping you into it. And I just, I just want to encourage you, you know, we're talking about, um, I was sitting last night and just, just sitting with the Lord and listening. And I just really felt like he wanted to encourage you, that he wanted to encourage you that oneness is not our work, it's his Oneness is not about our capacity to commit to one another. It's not about our fervency to sort of commit to connection with one another. It's not about any of those things, but it's actually about our humility to be shaped as one. And I just wanted to read these to you, Romans 15. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement where does perseverance and encouragement come from? He gives it. Now, may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. Oneness of mind in Christ is not your work. It's not my work. We don't have to strain ourselves and place this pressure on ourselves to try and achieve it or to try and somehow pursue it. We actually just have to have the humility to be shaped into it. Or this, now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions amongst you. I mean, that's quite the lofty statement, eh? I exhort you that you all agree. I mean, Bex and I, husband and wife, are still very much trying to learn that journey between two people, let alone a room of however many are gathered. I exhort you that you all agree and there be no division amongst you, but that you be made complete. Not that you make yourself complete. Not that you strive to think the same. 
not that you engage in education to think you have everything nailed down and theology and, and all the perspectives nailed down rightly. Yeah, those things can be great when the spirit leads you to it, but that's not where oneness comes from. We get to be made complete. And so I just wanted to encourage you that um, becoming one is not your work. It's not my work. It's his work. And there is phenomenal encouragement in that because it's not about our capacity or strength to pursue. It's about our humility to lie down and let him do what he wants to do. So I hope if any of you, I just felt like maybe there were some people there that um, in hearing the weightiness of the call to oneness, what's the deception? The deception is, is then you, you take that weight and you place it upon yourself and you try and carry it with, with the strength of your own shoulders. And Jesus is saying to you, know, be yoked to me. That yes, you have to be joined to me in oneness, but it's an easy yoke and a light burden because I will actually carry every single bit of weight related to the work. And so if in hearing the call you've been discouraged or you've felt under pressure or you're like, oh my goodness, I'm not there, don't, don't believe that it's yours to pursue or, or yours to go after. It's yours to yield to and to let him do to complete the very good work that he started. This is where, um, I know there's been a lot of talk uh, as a community about this in, in recent times, and so I don't want to go too deeply into it, but this is where losing your life for Christ's sake becomes, again, so hugely important that it's not about your capacity to build your life as oneness. It's about your humility to lose your life for Christ's sake to go down into the waters of baptism, to die this death and to be raised again in spirit into the new life of Christ. And I really felt like this, this was for somebody that the only reason losing your life for Christ's sake will be offensive to you is if you instinctively believe that your life carries value that Christ's does not. Losing your life for Christ's sake is a phenomenal, phenomenal, glorious invitation when you realize that he is asking you to lay down what is not enough, to lose forever what is not enough, to be raised again in fullness forever in what who is always enough. And for years and years and years, I lived with this offense within me because I thought Johnny was something good and Johnny was created in the image of God and Johnny is like awesome, so I don't want to lose Johnny. <laughs> And he broke me so lovingly, so kindly, so brutally to show me that actually there's nothing contained in Johnny that is not represented more fully in Christ. Christ is the origin of Johnny. And therefore the lack that exists in Johnny can be lost by losing my life for Christ's sake and being risen in Christ in oneness with all of you. So I'm losing the small to gain the all. And I want to encourage you with that. Um, this evening also. Let me just read to you uh, from Genesis to, uh, to just set a bit of a scene. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. The man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Can I uh, ask my helper, Darren? Thanks, Darren, for doing uh, what I cannot. Um, there's a large wine glass there, and then there's two smaller ones. The large one full of water represents God. What makes one of the things that makes God so unique is that he knows both good and evil, and yet he only ever operates from goodness for goodness. That's one of the things that makes him God. He can see both good and he can see evil, but he never, ever, ever chooses evil. And you and I are not the same. <laughs> this is why he said, don't eat of the tree of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, because if you do, you'll, you, you know goodness right now. I want you to commune in goodness. I want you to commune with goodness. I want you to partake of goodness. I want you to feed from goodness. I want you to live from goodness. I want you to step in goodness. I want you to speak in goodness. That's why New Testament scripture says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth because the intent of God in creating us was goodness. And so you've got this large glass that represents God, the goodness of God, the water, the goodness of God. And he formed us in his image. He formed a glass that was like him. And then he poured his goodness into us. He breathed this breath of life. <laughs> nice. It's so good. Did you get your phone? But because he's God and not Darren, he, he poured it without spilling. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe there's just so much goodness it's spilled everywhere. The, um, the analogy is not quite right because you'll notice that the goodness in the first glass has gone down. And goodness is not what God does. Goodness is who God is. I don't know, parents, um, who, who, who's, got, who's got children? Raise a hand. I used to think I was a good person and then I became a parent and my needs became revealed to me far more fully than I had previously known. Uh, you know, with your children, you are patient and patient again and patient again and patient again and patient again and patient again, and then something happens and you run out of patience and it feels like this little kind of plastic explosive that has slowly been getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger within you. Suddenly a detonator connects, like one, one child does something that one child shouldn't do, and a detonator connects to the plastic explosive inside you and you have a moment that you hope the neighbours don't hear or observe. That's because we're trying to do the work of patience. See, when God pours goodness into our lives, when, when he formed us in his image and then he breathed the breath of life, he poured goodness in. It's not like he poured in some goodness and then he ran out because goodness is the substance of who he is. He simply imparted himself. And we try and do the work of God by trying to work patience and work kindness. And for each one of us, it's like every time we work a little bit of goodness into another life, we lose the measure of goodness in our own because we're still trying to do the work of God instead of yielding to becoming like him, which is when you become like a river of living water that never runs dry. And so your kids get patience, patience, kindness, love, joy, peace, and you can give out, give out, give out with never ever being emptied yourself because it's become a substance of who you are, not an asset of limitation that for a while you possess. And so God poured his goodness into us. And he said, don't eat from the tree of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil because I, I want you to hold this goodness. But we all know the story. We ate of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and that glass that was formed in the likeness of God, that glass that was full of goodness, that glass fell. That glass that is you and I, it fell. And it became completely now unable to hold goodness 
because it was broken pieces. And and I don't I don't know what life is like for you. I know that every day I have the opportunity to walk amongst broken pieces. I know that every day I experience the broken pieces of my own life and I experience the broken pieces of others' lives. Here in South Africa, the the brutality of the brokenness is is before us um, every single day. And I'm sure that if you have eyes of humility and love, you will see the same brutality of brokenness in New Zealand. And, And what then happened is that the father looked at Christ made in the same image and he sent Christ already full of goodness from the father going back to the father. And of course we know that Christ never fell and in offering up his life was then resurrected in the power of God and brought back to perfect communion with God, goodness with goodness, life with life. And I want to talk to you tonight about what's in the broken pieces. Thanks so much, Darren. You can uh, head back to your seat, avoiding the glass. Give Darren a hand. Isn't he wonderful? I, I want to talk to you tonight about what's in the broken pieces. Greg said something yesterday. Um, he said, we've had 2,000 years to try and get this oneness right. We've had 2,000 years to, to try and become one. And yet this reputation that we have of the body, most certainly probably in most areas and most places, is not oneness. Why? And I believe it's because so often we keep on trying to find unity in the broken pieces. We, we look around us for who's the biggest broken piece that fell the right way that has able, been able to hold a little bit of goodness in them. And then we gather around that person and call that person a mighty man or woman of God. And we try and bring our broken piece to somehow connect to their broken piece to try and do good things for God and to sow vision and to change the city and to build a great church and to have cultures of love. And we bring all these broken pieces and we put them next to what we perceive to be the biggest broken piece because we think that's fullness. Or we look at another person and we say, hey, how about I join my broken piece with your broken piece? And it can be good for a while, but somewhere along the line, you discover that if you get close enough to a broken piece, it's sharp. And you will want your life to minister healing to the person you decided to join with. And somewhere along the line, it will just minister hurt. And you'll cut them and they'll cut you. And so I want to look at... um, There's just three areas that I feel like the Lord is just really illuminated and saying, hey, oneness is never found in these things. These are broken pieces. I just want to be clear that um, if you looked at broken pieces on the ground, imagine that you walk into a room and there's glass all over the room. And then imagine that the light comes and the light hits the broken pieces. Put up your hand if you think it would be beautiful to observe. Because when light falls on broken pieces, it actually looks stunning. Broken pieces reflect, refract the light in different ways and you see colors and you see all these beautiful things and, and the light dances in the pieces. And sometimes we get deceived because the one who is the light hits our broken pieces. We get deceived into believing that the value's in the broken piece, the value's in me. Instead of, oh my goodness, the beauty is the light. And while I walk this earth, a wretched man that I am in the vessel of a broken peace, I am invited in spirit to be raised in the light and experience the fullness of that goodness, not relying on the broken peace to reveal the light. Does that make sense? So are you beautiful? Are you created beautiful in the image of God? Yes, Are you a fallen, broken piece? Yes. Does the light fall on you and display the beauty of the light in a unique and phenomenal and special way? Yes. Is that an exhortation to stay a broken piece? No. (laughs) Lose the broken piece for Christ's sake and be raised in fullness in the one who is the light. So um, if you've got scripture, turn with me to Galatians 3. I'm sure a very, very familiar passage of scripture um, to many. 
just trusting that the spirit is going to minister to each one of us and reveal what is for each and every heart. Um, I can't hear anything. Uh, so uh, if any of you have a question, like stand up and do an inspirational dance. So I get, uh, so you get my attention. I can see you. Uh, and please do feel free to interrupt. If the spirit is moving and you feel like there's something that you need to contribute, please, please, please just, just stand up. This is about holding all space for Christ. Like I love that the center of the room right now is empty and you have the father and the son represented by two glasses, the spirit by extension also represented at the center. It's not about me at the center. It's not about you at the center. It's about Christ at the center. And so if Christ is moving in you to say something or to share something or to pray something, you must interrupt me. If the spirit is leading you, you must interrupt me. You have no choice. Make sense? All right. Galatians chapter three, verse 27. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, is according to promise. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. What Paul is saying is, hey guys, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, it's in the broken pieces. It's part of the old creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So, so let's unpack this a little bit. Um, do we have different nationalities in the room? If we're gonna look at Jew and Greek, do we have different nationalities in the room? Is there anybody from South Africa? Hey, nice to see you. I bring the warmth of a South African winter to you in spirit. <laughs> it's winter here and today it is, uh, I believe, a low of 18 degrees and a high of 27. So I will be on the beach in the middle of winter later. Bless you all. Do we have anybody here from another nationality? Put your hand up. Is it, I can't. Shout it out. Shout out what nationalities. I can't hear, but everyone else can. Yay, Jesus. Fantastic. I want to encourage you that scripture says there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither South African nor New Zealander. There's neither Indian nor Australian. There's neither English nor Scottish, but all are one in Christ. And nationalism and colonization have no place in the kingdom of God. Have you ever noticed that like flesh gathers with like flesh? Have you ever noticed that when one group of people immigrate from one country to another, they can find it hard to assimilate because they go to a new land believing they are New Zealanders and their identity is built around being a New Zealander. And then they go to this new land, they move to France and they don't know what it is to be French. They don't feel French. And so they feel excluded from the environment. They can't become one with French people. And so what do they try and do? They try and learn the French language. They try and learn the French culture. They try and eat snails without grimacing all so that they can become French. I don't know if you've observed what's been happening in the US recently and how nationalism in the name of Jesus is flying around social media like nothing, like no, no circumstance I've ever experienced before. I've got a lot of friends in the US and I see things like this value for the United States has suddenly been threatened by political perspective. So when Donald Trump was president, the Democrats felt like the nation of America was under threat because Donald Trump was president. And now Joe Biden is president. And so um, the Republicans feel like the nation of America is under threat and Christians have jumped on board with this and they are fighting to protect America when their identity is no longer American. You've clothed yourself in Christ. And it's so ugly. There's no place for nationalism in the kingdom. 
oneness of the spirit does not rest on whether you are a New Zealander, South African, an Indian, an American. It doesn't exist. That's part of the identity that has to be laid down. Scripture doesn't speak to you, speak of you as that identity. What identities does Scripture speak of you? One of them is that you're an ambassador of Christ Jesus. What does an ambassador do? Does an ambassador go to an environment and try and colonize that environment with its own way of thinking? No, doesn't. Does an ambassador go to a new country and go, hey guys, everybody, you have to move to my country. My country is so good. I want you to come to my country. An ambassador is not a travel agent. They're not booking tickets. They're not making opportunity. They're not making ways. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador lives entirely in the identity of where they are from and they live demonstrating and representing the interests of their home country. And so you are invited. I am invited. South Africans, I want to encourage you. You're not South Africans. You are an ambassador of heaven. You're not in New Zealand to represent the culture of South Africa as wonderful as meat is. <laughs> That's not who you are. It's not your purpose. It's not your function. It's not who Christ would have you be. He has you in New Zealand, a spirit being alive in Christ, one in Christ to demonstrate and represent the interest of the kingdom of God. He has you there to demonstrate and represent kindness. He has you there to demonstrate and represent love. He has you there to demonstrate and represent peace. He has you there to demonstrate and represent joy and on and on and on it goes. But because we're so conditioned to finding oneness in nationhood or oneness in culture, then we try and bring that same reality into the church. Building church culture, I was sitting with the Spirit, and the Spirit said this to me so clearly the other day, Building church culture is the counterfeit of being transformed through revelation. I don't know if you've noticed, but um, different churches seem to have different cultures. Go to one community and they value this, often at the expense of this. Go to another community and they value this at the expense of this. And you put those two people in a room together and boom, watch the sparks fly because the value of connection is culture. So you'll hear things like, God is love, so we wanna build a culture of love. I don't wanna build a culture of love. I'm not the least bit interested in building a culture of love because who the heck can build a culture that, sorry, I'm just flipping pages. Who can build a culture of love where love is patient and love is kind? It is not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act becomingly, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked. I mean, you probably couldn't build a culture of one of those things, let alone all of those things, and I haven't even finished reading. I couldn't build a culture of that. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love remembers no wrongs. I was sitting in a service one day and, and a man that my own brokenness had wronged over and over and over again. Now, I, I had enough self-control and enough value for performance to not wrong him to his face. But man, did I wrong him. I wronged him over and over again. I knew that gossip was wrong, so I didn't talk about him to other people, but I wronged him over and over again when lying on a pillow next to my wife in bed. It was coming from hurt. It was coming from being broken, but I wronged this man over and over and over again. And I'm sitting in a service one day and he's preaching and he looks at me and he says, you have never wronged me. 
because love remembers no wrongs. Do you know what it is to live looking at another person, honestly looking at them going, you have never wronged me, not once. You've never wronged me because I remember no wrongs. You think you can build a culture like that? Good luck. (laughs) All power to you. Building church culture is the counterfeit of being transformed through revelation. What about love rejoices with the truth? Man, I need people in my life that will rejoice with the truth. That when they see me operating outside of truth, they do not rejoice in it. I don't even want a word to be able to pass my lips that does not rejoice, that is not rejoicing in truth without having the people around me go, hey, Johnny, I need to rejoice with the truth in your life. And right now rejoicing with the truth led by the spirit looks like correction, looks like challenge. Love rejoices with the truth. And then these few words that just sum it all up, it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things, it never fails. Failure is never circumstantial. It's always an absence of the substance of love. And so we've got this reality of of nationalism and we've got this reality of culture. And Paul comes along and he says, hey, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Nationalism and culture, that is not where we gather. And so what I want you to do, I I just want you to take a moment. um, Stop, ask the spirit, chat amongst yourselves as led, we're just going to take five minutes. Confess some things if you need to confess some things where you have tried to, through your own strength, become one together with other people through culture. You have tried to join yourself to culture and you have, through performance, tried to shape and mold yourself. Remember, he's the potter, you're the clay. Clay doesn't shape itself. But because of culture, you have yielded to something and you have tried to become one with others in that way that you need to repent of and go, Father, I recognize that there's neither Jew nor Greek. There is no, there is no way of joining together in this, in this thing of earthly culture. And I want to confess that and I want to be free of that. And I want to let your spirit build me in oneness with the body of Christ in an entirely different way. So take a moment, have a chat with the people around your table. Uh, and we'll come back together in about five minutes. All right, beautiful ones. Let's uh, let's come back together. Um, why, why is it really important not to find oneness in culture? If you consider um, Paul, so... Saul has this revelation of Jesus Christ becomes Paul. And then he goes, he gets led off into the wilderness. Earlier on in Galatians, he says, after 17 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. What's he saying? He's saying the spirit revealed to me that I must preach to the Gentiles, but the culture of church in Jerusalem is preaching to the Jews. So the revelation actually took Paul outside the established culture. It took Paul outside the words of Jesus. I'm sending you to the lost sheep of Israel. Do not even go into a Samaritan town. Don't even go to a Gentile village. I'm sending you to the lost sheep of Israel. And Paul had received something from the spirit that was so outside church culture at the time that he actually says, I only submitted the revelation to those of the highest reputation with intimacy with the spirit for fear that I had been running or was running my race in vain. And man, revelation will take you outside of church culture. Revelation will build a substance within you that is not often acceptable if the value is church culture. Now, I want to be really clear. Do we despise the culture of nationhood? No way. Do we dishonor and disrespect it? No way. Do we dishonor the the parts of the body that are trying really hard to build culture? Do we scoff at them and scorn at them and say, no, we know the way? No That just demonstrates that judgment, the wrong kind of judgment is still within me. Pride is within me and and I need to be 
humbled and learn to love and pray and speak when led by the Spirit. But our identity and our value system and oneness is in none of those things. So that's culture. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Secondly, there's neither slave nor free man. And I, I live in a country where slavery is, is demonstrated. Um, we don't call it slavery because that would be really ugly and then we'd have to do something about it en masse. But slavery is, is demonstrated in people's circumstances um, all around me. Um, people are stuck, imprisoned in, in poverty in communities that are, that are not healthy and are not well. Um, we have people coming to our gate every week looking for food um, because people are literally starving. Um, you can't walk. I walked between, um, I'm, I'm staying in a hotel because uh, where I live, we routinely run, run out of electricity. Uh, our country can't produce enough electricity to keep the lights on 24 um, seven. So the rock has very kindly sent me to a hotel so that if our electricity runs out at home, hotels have generators. So I won't go zoog and disappear from your screen without being able to come back. So I'm at a hotel and, and I'm in a very upmarket modern part of South Africa. And I was walking between the mall from getting some dinner last night back to the hotel. And I got stopped multiple times asking for food and being asked for money. And that's just real. Paul lived in an environment of slavery. Slavery was very common in his time. And, and yet right throughout scripture, he doesn't actually say slavery is so awful, we need to get rid of it. He says, if you're a slave, then do your work as if to God, not to man. Why? There's neither slave nor free man because circumstances don't define us. Our circumstantial reality is not where we find oneness. There could be a multi-billionaire sitting in the room right now and there could be someone who does not know where their next supermarket money is coming from. The cupboards are bare and they do not know where the money's coming from. And both of those people are invited to lay down that fleshly reality, to not consider anything their own, for the rich man to not go, this is my money and I get to do with it what I want to do. And the poor person to say, this is my poverty and I get to do with it what I want to do. Both are invited to lay that fleshly reality down, let it die with Christ, be resurrected into spirit life in Jesus, where suddenly hunger is nothing, abundance is nothing. I have learned to abound in both because my value system is not either. Now, of course, if you are a multi-billionaire and you see someone who is struggling, if love is inside of you, nine times out of 10, you're going to offer some food. If you see your brother and you say, go well, be fed, be covered, be warm, and you know that they have no shelter, no clothing and no food, and you don't do something, how can the love of God be in you? That's going to be the response nine times out of 10, but that is not to build oneness. That is simply the free transaction, the free sharing of the body from one to another in one way. Look, I've got a homeless mate and um, we, we met him uh, several years ago. He was walking past our house and my wife, Bex, thought he looked hungry and sad. So she went and got the gate remote, opened the gate, went to him, chased him down the street, put her arm around his shoulders. Uh, he was very smelly and walked him up our steps and sat him down in our lounge and started to prepare him a meal and then came to get me in the bedroom and said, Johnny, your friend is here. <laughs> I'd never met the guy in my life. Um, we rent a room for him so that he's got shelter. We give him money every week for food. Um, he prays for us. Man, he prays. We had a spare room for a while and, and we hadn't had a spare room previously and he came to the gate one day and the Lord said to me really clearly, um, invite this man to come and, come and stay with you. And I didn't really know him. All I knew was that he'd been in prison, pretty much. This was, this was pretty early on days. And he's an unusual character. He's been living on the streets since he was four years old. He's now 32, I think. And the Spirit said to me, invite him into your home. And, 
And I went and I talked with Bex and I said, hey, I just feel like this is what the, the spirit is asking. Is that okay with you? Because when you do something like that, you're not just risking, you're not just losing your own life. You, you're potentially losing the lives of those around you. And it's just kind of honor to check with everybody and let everybody hear from the spirit themselves. It generally goes better that way. And so I went to Bex. I said, hey, hey what, are you, what are you feeling? Is this right? And she said, yes. And so we invited him to come and stay with us. And we're sitting around after dinner, just chatting and, and we're chatting. But in my spirit, I'm praying God, I just like, like, please guard our family tonight. I don't know who this man is. I've got no idea who this man is. I've met him probably 20 times. We've had conversation, we've shared scripture, but I don't know him. And I'm sitting there and, and, and I'm like, Jesus, guard our family. If, if tonight it's your intent that we all get murdered for your glory, so be it. I've lost my life for Christ's sake. It doesn't matter. But whatever it looks like for you to guard my family tonight, if it's guarding unto death or guarding unto life, I don't mind, but please just guard my family. And then before we, we go to bed, he asks if we can pray together. And so he starts to pray. And here's this man that's lived on the street since he was four years old. And he starts to plead the blood of Christ over our home and over our family. And who do you think had the greatest substance of revelation of pleading the blood of Christ over an environment? The guy who's always been housed and clothed and fed and has always slept inside safe or the guy that slept on the streets in South Africa. Who do you think has the biggest revelation? See, pride told me that I had the biggest revelation, so I'm praying that God would guard my family. And here's this man before me taking the substance of the kingdom, not offended that I have a house and he doesn't because together we're one in Christ. And in our oneness, I give him food and clothing, but man, he brings prayer. He prays. It's always a two-way street in the kingdom. But you can only enjoy that fullness of giving and receiving and receiving and giving if you're not grounded in circumstantial reality. Comparison only finds its footing on the ground of division. If you compare yourself to somebody else in the body, you actually believe you are divided from them because you don't compare yourself to what you yourself are. This is what scripture means when it says, if one is blessed, all are blessed. If one suffers, all suffer. So look around the room right now. Can you see anybody that you've compared yourself to? And you've actually fallen for the lie that oneness is found in circumstances, that oneness is found in having equal circumstances and equal situations. No, there's neither slave nor free man. What your life looks like does not matter. One might be sick and the father does a miraculous healing. One might also be sick and the father doesn't. Both can be the perfect expression of the goodness of God absolutely 100% in perfect unity in Christ without any sense of guilt on the one that got healed and a sense of unfairness on the one that didn't. Because oneness in Christ is not about slave nor free man. Your circumstances are what's happening to you. Take a moment, chat amongst with one another. If the spirit has brought up something where you're like, oh my goodness, I totally believe oneness was there, there or there. Confess it. Let the spirit do the work it wants to do. We're going to take three minutes because it's getting late. It's like, yeah. It's like 20, what's the time here? It's like 35 past nine in my life, 10, 11, 10. I could go forever. Anyway, take three minutes, have a chat, uh, and then we'll come back. Can I rudely intrude upon your table conversation? I'm sorry. Uh, you might want to come back to it. Up to you. What's in the broken pieces? Nationality and culture. What's in the broken pieces? Circumstances. What's in the broken pieces? There is neither male nor female. Um, guys, can you throw up that... Um, that PowerPoint for me, please. Just the first slide. If it will, if it will work. That obligatory moment where everybody turns and looks at the AV desk. I see you, Vera Anderson. <laughs> 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 so good. 
if it's not going to cooperate, I can simply read it. Ah, you're amazing. Look at you. Incredible people. Thank you. This technology astounds me. Okay, it says, you should make sure a woman is preaching in your church on Easter morning. Why? Because that's who Jesus chose for the first Easter sermon, and it's always good to follow his example. Um, did anybody else uh, see that floating around at Easter time? It was bouncing around social media, Facebook, Instagram, um, and, and, you know, on the face of it, um, uh, really great thing, amazing to give space uh, to hear from all the different lenses and angles and perspectives of Christ that the different parts of the body have. You should, you should make sure a woman is preaching in your church on Easter morning. Why? Because that's who Jesus chose for the first Easter sermon. It's always good to follow his example. Can we have the next slide, please? Consider the next direct comparison. You should make sure only men are following you if you want to make disciples. Why? Because that's who Jesus chose as his disciples, and it's always good to follow his example. Thanks, guys. You can, uh, you can leave the slide up if you don't want to look at my face, or you can put my face back up, up to you. <laughs> Consider those two statements. One seems to, the, the, the first slide about woman seems to make space in an environment where typically it, it can be a male-dominated environment. And so it seems to be a good thing. We, we say, yeah, we should make space to hear from women. We, we should. And then you go to the next immediate direct comparison and it seems a little bit offensive because it seems to cut half the population out of the picture when in actual fact, both statements are sitting upon a foundation of error, identity and value in flesh. See, I'm not interested in making space for the voices of men. I am not interested in making space for the voices of women. I am interested in making all space for the voice of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, revealing an eternal kingdom to us that we then become the demonstration of so we actually look like something completely other on the earth. If the Lord came to me and said to me, Johnny, I don't ever want you to preach again and I want you to spend the rest of your life serving Beck's preaching, it would be my joy. It would be my absolute joy because if there is anointing coming upon her life to articulate and declare the substance of Christ for other people to hear and receive of by the power of the Spirit, what greater joy could I have than serving that process? I long for the day when as a bearer of the Word of God, the logic of God, the mind of Christ, I long for the day when I can walk into a room and I can say, what's the Spirit saying? And that's the only thing I have to say. I long for that day because my value is not my voice. My value is not in men speaking or women speaking or men worship leading or women worship leading or men in positions or women in positions because there's neither male nor female nor all are one in Christ. See, we have this reality Above all, love one another deeply. It's in the book. We're commanded that. Above all, love one another deeply, for love covers a multitude of sins. I'm, I'm married. I'm a married man. Bex and I have been married for 15 and something years. The substance of love that I turn to her is exactly the same substance of love that I am to turn to Greg, that I am to turn to Kirk, that I am to turn to Mel, that I am to turn to Danny, exactly the same substance. Now hear me. Scripture is very clear about boundary lines and how that love is expressed in some environments and must not be expressed in others. That's not, I'm not saying that, that that's not true. Do you hear me? I want to be very, 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 very clear. But the substance of love that I am to turn to Mel is exactly the same substance of love that I am turned to Bex. And I can only do that in holiness if I consider Bex not woman and Mel not woman, because as soon as I consider Mel woman, I'm going to be, there's going to be thoughts that are going to want to make their way in there as I express that love. And there's the danger of it becoming flesh to flesh love instead of spirit to spirit love. Sorry for the bluntness, but this is the reality. There's neither male nor female. 
we have become more about, we have a culture of making equal room for men and women instead of all room for Christ. And the only way, guys, the only way you can look at women and not struggle with porn and not struggle with lust is if you actually do not consider anyone according to the flesh because we used to know Christ in that way, but we now no longer know him in that way. We know him in spirit. And so we don't know each other according to the flesh, the definition of male and female, even though we walk in those definitions every single day, even though we walk within those definitions, we are not defined by them. That's how you, you, get, you get free of lust, whether you're man or woman, as you realize that lust belongs to the old that died and you're no longer there. You can gaze upon a sister with absolute purity as a man and as a sister, you can gaze upon a brother with absolute purity as a woman because male nor female is in the pieces and it's died, it's been laid down and you've been resurrected in spirit life in Christ Jesus. Something other. Male and female is in the pieces. So here's the thing, you, you let male and female be in the pieces, you lay it down. You'll actually have a greater attitude of honor and holding space for those in spirit form in the form of woman in the body of Christ. You'll actually hold space more beautifully considering them not woman than if you consider them woman and try and make space for woman in the church. In marriage, what does that look like? Married couples, do you look at the other and consider them no longer according to the flesh? Or do you consider them according to the flesh? Um, can, can, um, Greg, can you give me a wave if there are no under 18s or there's no children in the room, is there? Are there children in the room? There are children in the room. Okay. All right. Um, Men, when you look at your wife, uh, there's a part of, of married relationship that is really beautiful and really right. And God created it. And, and, and I believe that um, it's a really lovely thing when that's a healthy, joyful expression of what it means to be married. But your identity and your value system doesn't lie within it. Because you don't consider yourself according to the flesh. You don't consider your wife according to the flesh. You consider yourself according to the spirit and you consider her according to the spirit. So whether it's there or it's not, it's frequently present or it's very infrequently present, you can abound in Christ Jesus because it's not your identity. It's not your value system. It's part of the broken pieces. We have too much teaching on marriage that says, no, you have to please one another to demonstrate the kingdom. When in actual fact in marriage, you have to come under the authority of the father, serve the father only, please the father only, and then you'll demonstrate a service in marriage that the world can't comprehend. So men, it's your value system can't be in being man in marriage. So what does he say? What does he say your value system is in? Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He says, if your wife is lacking, you go to the cross. If your wife is lacking, you suffer for Christ, not for her sake, because if your suffering is for her sake and she doesn't change, then you're going to get really annoyed. But you make up the lacking suffering of the body of Christ unto Christ in communion and partnership with Christ and oneness with Christ. You're willing to suffer for Christ. And that might mean that you become the most attentive, most caring, most loving, most serving, most humble husband in the history of humanity without ever having that thing one more time in your entire life that I was talking about before somewhat cryptically so that it's okay for little ones in the room. Why? Because males are in the broken pieces. What, is, what does he say to women in marriage? He says, submit to your husband as if to Christ. What's that about? Well, if males in the pieces, it's, it's not about submitting to a man. Everything in marriage is a prophetic picture of Christ in the church. Everything. We have to be, we have to have the power of the Spirit reveal this prophetic picture of man, woman, husband, wife, Christ, church. When we view marriage through that lens, everything that is hard outside of that truth suddenly becomes easy within it. So, woman, 
Wives, submit to your husbands as if to the Lord. It's not about submitting to your husbands. It's about a prophetic demonstration of a bride that submits to a groom because every time you posture yourself like that, you don't posture yourself in front of the man. You posture yourself in submission to the head Christ every single time. So woman, when you submit in marriage, you're not submitting to man, you're kneeling before Christ and you will reap the reward within you in spirit of submission to Christ. Suddenly like, oh, but he makes bad choices. Well, so do I, (laughs) so do you, (laughs) we all make bad choices. He does things I don't want him to do. Well, I guarantee you do things he doesn't want you to do as well. And I guarantee if you walk closely with me, I'll do things you don't want me to do. I've probably said some things tonight that maybe you don't want me to say. I don't know. Yay, Jesus. But male nor female is in the pieces. Marriage between a man and a woman is in the pieces. Now, when the light falls on it, can it be a beautiful demonstration? Yes, but we are to be resurrected out of the pieces As long as I'm in my earthly body, I groan. In my earthly tent, I groan, longing to be clothed with my heavenly dwelling. We're to be resurrected out of the pieces. Even though we walk in the pieces every single day, our identity and our value system is not to be in the pieces. Because how do you know, O woman, by learning submission before your husband who doesn't even know Jesus because a submission to him prophesies submission to Christ, which loses an abundance of joy and peace in your life that could never come from your husband, even if he was a God-fearing, loving man. How do you know, O oh woman, if you will not save your husband? It's in the book. So I'm going to finish now. Nationality, culture. It's in the pieces. It's not where we find oneness in Christ. Circumstances. It's in the pieces. It's not where we find oneness with Christ. Male nor female. It's in the pieces. It's not where we are found in oneness in Christ. Up to you if it's time for you to go home, if you're being led by the Spirit to head on home and crawl into bed. Have a beautiful, beautiful sleep. May your communion in sleep be as deep and as full as your communion awake because it's a spiritual reality, not a physical one. If you're led to stay, if you're tired but the Spirit is leading you to stay, please stay because there's more life in staying than there is going. If you want to stay and the Spirit is leading you to go, please go because there's more life in going than staying. Up to you whether you want to hang around and discuss male nor female. I'm not sure what the rest of the plan is but I'll hand back over to to you, Greg, and just such a joy to be with you. Love you all so very deeply with a love that the origin isn't me. And that thrills me. Uh, So looking forward to seeing you on Sunday morning and Sunday night. Have a beautiful rest of the evening. I hope now you understand why revelation is such a key. Because without revelation, that could sound like a whole lot of gobbledygook. But that is absolutely true in him. But only through revelation will that actually fit in you. Because the mind cannot grasp what you just heard until it was renewed to the reality of what your spirit caught. So I hope your spirit caught that rather than your mind going, what on earth did you just say what? And then if your spirit caught that, I would encourage you to go and start asking the spirit to engrave that on your mind so you then actually have an understanding of what you just heard. What you just heard was eternal. It was very clear and very simple and full of life, but not to the flesh. I could imagine some of our heads are hurting and some of our heads were probably saying no because it's outside. But I walk with that man 
I know the reality in what he said, and I say yes and amen. Because that is changing me. That is defining my relationship with my wife. And it's to define all of ours. But it is not earthly. It is not human. It is the word of the Lord. And it requires revelation through the Holy Spirit. So then it's about a posturing and a positioning and an asking and a seeking if that is true. So be a Berean and don't just go, yeah, I believe it. Be a Berean and seek it. And test all things and ask the Spirit of God if that is of God. And if it is, you'll know. And you'll have a knowledge, not a knowledge, you'll have a knowing that you can then live from. And then start aligning your life too. Amen. So if you want to continue to chat, continue to chat. If you want to go home, be free to go home. We'll start tomorrow morning at what time? 9.30. Doors will open at 9. And there'll be drinks and all that stuff. Just come expect them again. So thanks for coming. Have an awesome night. Have fun tomorrow morning as well.